to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today I have with me John Wadsworth from Health Catalyst. And John is a real exciting guest here, ton of data analytics experience, and he's going to bring to us just some insights around how to make operational and clinical successes and outcomes happen in your organization. So, John, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be with you today, Mark. John, if you would, I did a brief intro there. I'm sure you can do much better. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, I guess how you got to where you are today at Health Catalyst. A little bit of my background, I've got a a bachelor's in genetics and a master's in biomedical informatics from the University of Utah, both degrees there. From a career standpoint, I spent about eight years in genetic research uh, through the University of Utah and then pivoted, interestingly enough, to software and tech support, jumping on ship with Intermountain Healthcare. That was one of those uh, serendipitous moments that we've all had in our careers, which was a mixture of industry shift and dumb luck, (laughs) being in the right place at the right time. Intermountain Healthcare was going through a massive shift in, in the way that they were not only collecting data, but trying to figure out how to use that data at a system level, and I just caught that wave as it was forming. Spent 10 years at Intermountain Healthcare as a data architect, supporting the primary care clinical program and developed disease registries around uh, chronic disease conditions for the primary care clinical program. Specifically, we were interested in building co-located care delivery models that would bring together behavioral health and physical health in a variety of settings, and then using data to track the effectiveness of marrying up those two clinical disciplines and using data to understand um, the effective interventions that were put into place. So specifically, the diseases we started looking at were diabetes, depression, bipolar disorder, substance abuse, anxiety, heart failure, and bringing all of those disease registries together. Uh, Really, I'd call that some of the early pioneering work around population health. We weren't calling that at the time. So I spent 10 years there doing that work and our co-founders at Health Catalyst were also there. I had the good fortune of working for Steve Barlow and and Tom Burton there. Uh, And they left in 2008 and I joined them here at Health Catalyst in 2011. They said, hey, did you enjoy the work at Intermountain Healthcare? I said, of course. And they said, how would you like to do more of that, but on a national level? And that's all I needed to say for me to jump on board. So I've been here um, doing and leading a lot of that work, a lot of the same that we were um, doing at Intermountain Healthcare, but now in a variety of healthcare systems, IDNs, ACOs, community hospitals, even payers that interestingly enough have paid us to come do what we do in health systems where they are the predominant uh, cover for uh, that patient population. I'm not sure what else you'd want me to add, Mark, to a, a background there, but there's a, a teaser of the- I think the, that's a great background. But, but tell me, 
you could have made a lot more money doing data architecture on Wall Street. What attracted you to the slow and unchanging world of healthcare? Oh, I think what probably draws the majority of us into healthcare, it was the mission. As a young architect, I had an extraordinary and galvanizing moment in my career where I had developed a couple of disease registries. One was the depression registry, which was my first from the ground up build as a young architect. And then marrying that up with what my boss had built around diabetes and producing separate reports for this entire uh, physician group, the primary care clinical program, 350 some odd physicians. And the first time I brought those two different reports together for the clinical service line lead, he said, John, this is really hard to make sense of. I can see from a disease perspective what, what you've done, but it's really hard for me to track a patient who has comorbid conditions, has both diabetes and depression. I, I have to look at two different reports. Could you mesh that together? And so my foray into this work was designing and building a, a, a bridging mechanism across those underlying data models now so the consumer could see a patient view as opposed to a disease view. And when I showed that to him for the first time, he called me into his office, he says, John, here's one patient. I have to understand why you think this teenager has depression. I have zero indication that she has depression. And it's really important you help me understand why you think she belongs in our registry. I went back and I traced the rules, I traced the data sources, and I came back and I could show him she'd qualified for our rules, she'd qualified through the data sources of claims as opposed to the clinical, which is his EMR, his world. And so she was going out of network, but she qualified for the rules clinically that he had set. And he said, through teary eyes, this fundamentally changes the way I practice medicine. I've been treating her for diabetes, have not moved the needle for three years, and you've helped me understand, one, that she has depression, two, that she's had multiple, almost catastrophic depressive episodes. I was completely unaware. It revamped his care solution by now reaching out to the behavioral health side and formulating a patient plan as opposed to disease-centric plan. I was hooked when I realized, oh my gosh, we can use data and our technical skills to actually improve care and make the lives of clinical providers that much easier, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. That's an awesome story. And most of us really probably have experienced as CMIOs or provider informaticists that moment where the data actually changes behavior or impacts an outcome. And it's so powerful for us. That it's what fuels us up and makes us get up in the morning and want to do it again, despite banging our heads against the wall. So <laughs> we always want better operational or clinical outcomes. It sounds like you've been in this industry a while. Uh, besides that one success story, anything else, anything on a, on a, a system-wide scale or an organization you've worked with that you're really proud of? Oh, there, honestly, there, there are dozens that I've had the good fortune of working with and helping to document uh, everything from IDNs to community hospitals. I will, I will put a shameless plug from an education standpoint to leverage some of those published documents on the Health Catalyst website under the success stories. These are publicly available. They're statistically proven uh, successes that we just want to get that message out. We can do more with data. And if we can share those learnings, 
ubiquitously and broadly, we, we want to do that. One that comes to mind that we just published in December is we helped an organization in the Midwest, Unity Point Health, a large integrated network over the last couple of years, save over $17 million just in blood product utilization. I just want that to sink in for a minute, Mark. That mm -hmm. is such a small, very focused aspect of the broader care delivery system, but it, it speaks to the magnitude of the waste that is unfortunately present in these large systems. And so finding, and not just finding, but actually realizing north of $17 million worth of savings by tracking the data, marrying up a framework of clinical best practice, building some risk prediction around that. Yeah, that's a real example uh, of how we're using data and outcome improvement methodology to consistently and sustainably identify and then remove waste out of a system just with blood utilization. And we've got over 200 of those stories published. I, I'd refer you to that website, healthcatalyst.com, and look under the success stories there. So early in my informatics and analytics career, I stumbled across Health Catalyst. It's obviously it's an organization that's known throughout the industry. And the website, the success stories, is definitely where I've gotten some of my ideas. There's always an opportunity to do something out there, but sometimes it's nice to say, okay, here's someone else who's done something similar. Here's the kind of results they're expecting. I'm on the website now, and there's in particular a organization. It's called Newtown uh, Wellesley Hospital, and I think they're in the Boston Mass area. They're partners healthcare, and and they were able to do things using data with chronic disease management, and they achieved six percent more patients with you know, blood pressure control, and using the data and the, how they nudged their people to drive the change that they they wanted to get. I think it's very powerful. So to my colleagues out there, if you haven't been on the Health Catalyst website, the success story section is, in my opinion, really very useful for us. Where else? What else have you seen that's where you're like, wow, we really had an impact and changed the lives of some people out there? There's an interesting shift. The, the Catalyst brand primarily has been built on the Intermountain kind of Brent James quality improvement story. And, and there's a lot of early adopter excitement around that. What we're seeing, Mark, is an increasing and accelerating shift towards leveraging the same principles and fundamental underlying technology to broaden the impact of that technology of a data platform and integrating data with an, a need to drive improvement in operational and financial areas. So it's a yes and, it's not supplanting the value of that work, but we see more and more shift towards that mantra of no money, no mission. These are still totally mission driven, but in order to fend off competition or to keep doors open with ever decreasing reimbursement uh, or more and more at risk contracting and, and just needing to understand, oh my gosh, if, if we've got a payer who's willing to give us a per member per month rate and we wanna be shifting from fee for service to fee for value, thank goodness we need data and, and an understanding to establish a baseline and how we shift towards that and how we manage that kind of risk in addition to consistently improving the product itself, which is your clinical delivery and the outcomes that go with that. So you're going to see on that website more and more improvements in the operational and financial space, things like provider productivity, 
activity-based costing, truly understanding um, what it costs your system to deliver care and how that influences market growth or where you put specific service lines or make care access within multi-region health systems like the large Midwest client I was talking about. Uh, that's really an interesting shift that you're going to be seeing. So as you've done these, what role has that provider informaticist or CMIO or CNIO played in either formulating the ideas or the execution? Here's my candid experience and opinion on this. I just think there's a dearth. There's so much more that a medical informaticist can be doing. My nearly 20 years of being in this space has led me to the following conclusion. I see medical informaticists predominantly fall into two areas. Mark, are you familiar with the HIMSS analytic adoption model? Levels one Absolutely, through nine? Absolutely, sure. Okay, mm -hmm. wonderful. I see a lot. The overwhelming majority of clinical informaticists, and this includes CMIOs, spending north of 80% of their time in the lower levels of the analytic adoption model. Why? It's because of the sunk cost bias associated with data capture systems, primarily the EMR. They're expensive, they're complex, they're constantly changing, and the users, target audience, are your highest paid labor. It's your physicians and your nurses. And so constantly trying to optimize and tune that so we avoid physician burnout and we're providing decision support with the onslaught of ever increasing clinical knowledge. That's where most informaticists live. It's in those level one through level four, the basic reporting, the decision support, the bedside care, the automated reporting, the regulatory reporting, and then there's a jump up to level eight and nine, where more of the theoretical or academic informaticists are in precision medicine and maybe some of the personalized medicine. What's interesting is who is involved from a technical standpoint in that meaty middle of actual clinical improvement? They are data architects, data engineers, data analysts, and if it's an informaticist, then somehow the industry's kind of coined this term, oh, you're an applied informaticist. And for a while that was almost looked down on like, mm, you couldn't really cut it in the academic space and you're not gonna be leading a, a broad implementation. So let's put you to work in that applied middle. But honestly, the 200 improvements that we've published, that is an amazing opportunity for medical informaticists to shift into more of the change management theory, including uh, increasing their domain knowledge of clinical data capture and care delivery with um, some fundamental skills of how to access the data, how to understand how that data is interrelated, how to track care delivery back to data capture, and then to analyze that information against clinical best practices and then surface those insights in ways that non-techies, non-informaticists can actually go, oh, this is the behavior that needs to change within our health system so we can achieve a better uh, outcome, either clinically, financially, or operationally. I just don't see a whole lot of informaticists in that level four through seven, but I see a lot of providers, so physicians. I also see a lot of service line leaders Many of those are physicians or have grown up um, with some kind of clinical background in, in leading now those teams. 
and the mandate is coming from the administrative team saying we have to grow we have to fend off competition we have to shift from inpatient focus to more preventive care and outreach and we've got to somehow marry up ambulatory analytics with our acute care system that is going to require a massive mind shift for medical informaticists in that applied space or in those lower levels of the analytic adoption model to go we've got a lot more that we can offer and and we can help drive a lot of these improvements but today i just i haven't seen many of those initiatives actually informaticists sponsored and led they kind of get pulled in but i'd love to see more of that thoughts and reaction there mark I believe that many of my colleagues and myself are sucked into this role of getting the provider stable on the EMR. We become incredibly EMR focused. How do we make sure they're optimizing the tool, that they're not burning out, that they're able to handle the next upgrade, and we get sucked into this training role. What most of us to get more excited about, though, is the ability to influence care across an entire health system and getting into some of those more sophisticated change management projects. Uh, we love to be involved with it. It's just when your time gets sucked into some of the you know, basic reporting type stuff. The other problem that I see happening is healthcare organizations are incredibly risk adverse. So we squirrel our way our data into little silos that we don't share with each other and it makes it very difficult to start to explore the data and look for patterns and really do true analytics and get out of reporting. Being able to take data from across the system and even it's two different hospitals, we're going to bring that together into a data warehouse where we can now look for which patients are hitting which facility and those kinds of things. We don't get to do that very often. Frequently it's doctor go, go do doctoring things and and make sure you're training your doctors and not so much the bigger picture kind of, of things. Now, that does change. There's, uh, in particular, I know of a chief analytics officer who is a physician. He's with Providence St. Joe's. Uh, and Ari is probably, I, I look up to Ari, he's, he gets deep into analytics and a tremendous asset to his organization being able to improve quality. So when it happens, I think it's gold. I, just, I agree with you, it probably doesn't happen enough. I want to give you is how that can happen here based on my experience my, my 20 years and kind of doing this work leading this work and and helping health systems take on and sustain this work I, I i'd like to distill for those that want to move away from being tethered to emr optimization to really leveraging their clinical background and knowledge to drive improvement, I do see there are five technical skills and two areas of domain knowledge that those that can amass this or get close to people who have these skills have successfully navigated away from that tethering to EMR or expensive data capture systems to leveraging their skill now in much more applied clinical, financial, and improvement, and, and then becoming very influential in, in acting on the strategy and fulfilling the strategy of the health systems where they're employed. Can I take just a few minutes and talk through what I think those five technical skills are and, and the domain's yeah. knowledge? I think it'd be really useful. Go for it. The first of those, uh, all of these start with data. 
Um, data is king. So I'm going to just rattle them off here. The first is data query, data movement, data modeling, data analysis, and data visualization. Let me just walk through what I mean by each of those. Data query. Um, some of you may be familiar with the acronym SQL, SQL, Structured Query Language. When I say data query, um, folks who understand how to get to the data in its relational data capture form, um, that you can pop the hood on a transaction system and understand how are we capturing that data, that skill uh, is unbelievably valuable. And I'm not advocating all of you now need to go become SQL experts. What I'm advocating is if you can go get the data for yourself, or you are paired with someone who can get that for yourself, the skill they are using to talk to databases or relational models is SQL. It's data query. And the power in that is one, you're not dependent on anyone to tell you this is how the data is stored. You get to validate or refute those assumptions for yourself and then marry that up against what you know is happening on the way care is being delivered. That is huge to go get the data. So that's what I mean by data query. The second is data movement. Think of ETL, extract, transform, load. You catch data in one system, we're going to pipe that into an analytic platform, a data warehouse, some Hadoop big uh, data repository. Data movement is nothing more than just understanding data lineage. Where did it come from? You see some kind of a report and there's a metric and we want to challenge that and say, help me as I interrogate the assumptions baked into that model, help me understand where the data came together, the logic behind that calculation. Is this a marry-up of claims data and, and an EMR data, like this story I told you at the beginning of this podcast? Data movement and understanding that data lineage helps us get to the root of business model assumptions that we are making or business rules for inclusion, exclusion criteria. That is fundamental uh, because if we just accept things at face value in a report, person who's designed that underlying data model may not understand all the nuances that the clinical expert brings to it. And some of those models, many of those models prove to be wrong or insufficient for what you're trying to accomplish in say a pop health strategy or just looking in your EMR when you could understand a much broader picture of claims and billing and your EMR data coming together. That's what I mean by data movement. Data modeling is once you pop the hood on any of these transaction systems, you just need to understand from that the form that people are using on the front end, a GUI to capture all the way down to how data is captured, how does that relate together? A simple example would be a, a typical instance of Epic or Cerner allows you the flexibility to document and tailor in a variety of ways. Simple things like birth weight for a baby can be documented as many times as 30 different ways 30 different ways to store the same clinical data. And if we don't understand that, how that can be related, when we begin to run analytics against that data model, it will be woefully insufficient in its analysis if we fundamentally don't understand the, the underlying data model. So again, I'm not advocating everybody has to understand everything in third normal form, become expert data modelers. You have to be able to crack open that nut and then understand how is the data being related, whether you have that skill or you can have access to someone who has that skill, that is fundamental to an informaticist making the shift. 
fourth technical skill, data analysis. So once we understand how to query or interrogate a data model, and we understand the, the path or data lineage of multiple data sources, perhaps converging into a diabetes registry or a heart failure registry, and we understand the data models and the business rules with that, now we need to apply our clinical informatic expertise on top of that and leverage things like, well, what is the best practice for diabetes identification and early intervention? What are the clinical indicators that we're managing that patient and that population well? Uh, now we're leveraging frameworks for clinical best practice on top of your data. That's what I mean by data analysis. And when we can tease out adherence to those best practices or departure from those best practices in the data, we want to surface that to those who have charge and stewardship over those care delivery services to intuitively understand this is what needs to change in our care delivery process, which leads us to the fifth one, data visualization. The consumers of the analytics are generally not technical. 99.5% of our healthcare system delivery consumers of analytics are never gonna write SQL. They're never gonna look at a data model. They get a report and they need to see from that report, who are my diabetics that are missing a hemoglobin A1C and are now putting part of our at-risk contract with Blue Cross Blue Shield at risk? Or we're just not delivering the care that we should for these heart failure patients. How many asthmatic patients did not refill um, their inhaler. It's those kinds of things that data visualization should just pop out for non-technical consumers that we can consume that analysis and go, ah, oh, I see what needs to change. So those are the five technical skills informaticists that can get close to people who have those skills or develop them themselves, meaningfully move from being tethered to EMR optimization into driving improvement as an applied informaticist into that space. But they can't do that really well if they don't couple that with a couple of areas of domain knowledge. Let me pause there before I shift and just clarify any question you might have had of those five spaces uh, or technical skills, Mark. I think it's spot on. Uh, that may be a little intimidating to some of my colleagues I, as I speak to, usually it's the newer provider informaticists who are up and coming. They're like, SQL, that's kind of scary. I went online and taught myself SQL. I, I took, uh, there's Udemy or Coursera or one of these online courses that you can take. And in a couple of weeks, I learned the basics of SQL. You can get a book and do it yourself if you want. It's really probably one of the easiest languages I've ever tried really to learn. Yep. Yep. And I did it so that I could speak to the analysts who were working with me on projects. And when they were talking about left join, right join, center joins or whatever, I understood the language. You're right, I'm not sitting down doing a whole lot of SQL querying myself, but I wanted to understand it. Unfortunately, I think across this country, if you had to count the number of physicians that have access to the Clarity database or whatever the equivalent is in Cernerland, and it can run and hit it with a SQL uh, program and be able to explore it. I, I bet you it is extremely limited, the amount of systems that are granting access to physicians to explore the data, which I think is, is criminal. Because you're right, when you can explore it and understand and see, hey, 
I, I'm trying to look for ejection fraction, and, and I'm only seeing half the numbers I should be seeing when I'm looking for it. And well, that helps you understand. Well, how's that data getting in there? You can go and explore and get to those echo texts, and then see. Oh yeah, sometimes they're using Simpsons, and sometimes they're using the Tyke model, and we're only putting in our database half of them. Well, that is incredibly valuable. Well, number one, the provider informaticist can make the data sets more valuable by helping to get the right information in there. And then number two is they can have those great conversations about, hey, this is what I really need to help make change happen. The other oh, thing that yeah, really dude. resonated with me is on the data visualization side. Because I also thought, okay, do I have to learn Tableau or Click or whichever one you're using in your system? And I was a little intimidated by it, but I'm like, okay, I'll, I started playing with it. They usually have free trial things, and I did them, and I was like, hey, you know what? It's not that scary. And then a data architect from my system who I'll never forget, Mark was really a really bright guy, and he came to me and I was like, how often are you going to be doing these really fancy radar graphs or something? It's like, you know what, the bar chart is probably what you're going to use 90% of the time. And, yep. and maybe some upper and lower limits kind of bars on there, but he's right. I really didn't have to get all that fancy. Uh, maybe a trend line was exciting. That's, that's about as fancy as you're going to need to get, because by the way, your audience can't interpret that radar graph totally either. Agree. Totally agree. Yep. And and I was careful to, to choose the words that I did that either either you develop the skill or you get close to someone who has the skills. And it might be five someone's because you may not find someone in your organization that has all five. That would be a generalist model for some data architect that um, is writing the queries, doing the ETL and the data modeling and can do the analysis and the visualization. That, that, that tends to not be the case, except at community hospitals where you're so strapped with team and resources, but then your limitation is going to be access to the person because they're just buried. So uh, the practical limitations of a physician picking up all these skills and becoming expert, that's not what I'm advocating. I'm saying working within the, the constraints that you have, get access to someone who has those skills and cover those bases so that meaningfully you understand how the data reflects the care delivery. And then if you really want to take the career to the next level, you couple that technical ability with the following two areas of domain knowledge. One, healthcare data capture and the flow of information. Those who make the biggest impact on their systems from a operations and financial improvement as informaticists, the impact is made when they can bridge the gap between here's how care is being delivered and here's what we're seeing in our data capture systems. That is a chasm that very few can cross. And informaticists, I think, are uniquely positioned, particularly because we've been tethered so long to the data capture systems, namely EMRs themselves. We understand every form and permutation of how we can capture the same clinical content like the birth weight example. Uh, we understand the flexibility of the EMRs to help with physician or nurse delivery. So understanding how data is captured and the flow of that information, then with, why does this matter? Why does our business care about this? That is a fundamental shift that I see many informaticists grapple with because it's now going at a macro level instead of um, focusing on a specific disease or focusing 
on the technical, which is where we're comfortable as informaticists, it's getting more into the MBA world. Okay, these are real business heads. And we need that bridge now into why does it matter that we can navigate the shift from fee for service to fee for value? And if we can couple as informaticists, oh, wow, here's why it costs so much more for diabetics who go undiagnosed for years and are being treated in the ED and don't have a consistent attribution to a primary care provider affects our at-risk contracting or our ability to move to preventive care in the ambulatory space as opposed to acute care diabetes, which is reactionary medicine. Oh my gosh, Mark, if we can, as informaticists, make that shift to start understanding what is our strategy for 2020 as a health system? And why does that matter? And then become a bridging mechanism to how the data is being captured, how that rolls up, and then tie that to the five technical skills. Uh, just, I'm convinced in my 20 years of doing this, we will awake a sleeping giant. And I think for many of us who've been tethered to babysitting very expensive implementations of EMRs, it will invigorate the careers that we feel like and can see we're actually improving care and we're driving down the cost of care and we're keeping our communities healthy and keeping our doors open so that the mission of those health systems that you're operating in can be fulfilled. My gosh, what could be more exciting from a career standpoint than that? Very exciting. Absolutely right. And probably the hardest thing to do. Now, I did go off to get my MBA because I f really did like the business side of it, but there's not a lot of the MBA that I use that I th that at least is conscious, like, oh, yeah, I learned about that in my, my MBA class. But it is essential for physician informaticists to understand how does Medicare Advantage work and those who are succeeding in it, why? What are they doing and what's the magic behind HCC coding? Because when you start to pick your projects that you want to work on, you want to pick ones that are going to matter and matter both financially as well as clinically. We got the clinical part down. We tend not to have the financial part down. If you understand what makes the business tick, I think there are I know there are dozens of immediate opportunities of service line and operational leaders who would be um, welcoming to an informaticist with open arms to come in and say, hey, I understand clinically how stuff gets done. Can you help me understand why it needs to get done from a financial and operational standpoint? Maybe we could marry our, our domains of expertise together. They will welcome that. You've covered really well what I was hoping to get at today, which is if you're a brand new informaticist and you're looking for, well, how do I get started in this? How do I get going? I get people who ask me that a fair amount, and it sounds like you find something that's clinically interesting. You find something that's going to have a financial return so that the system's willing to invest in you and put the resources towards your project, and then you just you kind of look and say, well, who else has done this ahead of me so I don't have to reinvent the wheel, and you just kind of start doing it. Is that what you would do? Totally. Totally. I'm going to add two other areas. I've talked about five technical skills and two areas of domain knowledge. I do want to mm -hmm. talk about those that really thrive also have just a couple of soft skills 
the, the industry calls them soft skills. And, and, and I don't like that term, but I think people understand what that means. They are so important. One is understand change management, the challenges of getting people bought into a vision and bought in enough that they're willing to change behavior as a result of data that you can show around clinical best practice and um, helping people understand their own accountability and what needs to change. If, if you understand that and can do that kind of work, you will lead systems for change. So that's one. A second is develop relationships early on with your executive leadership to tap into the strategic work. Too many fall into a trap of niche, one-off, very nuanced informatic type work. And it's limiting, some like that, but I, I, I hear time and again, informaticists wondering, how do I do more? Those that can understand the broader business function and can get involved in projects that are of a strategic nature, you write your own career ticket. You literally do. So learn to get along with people in, in a way. I mean, that's politicking, but that's really change management, one-on-one. And then the second is make sure that as you wake up every day, you're actually focused on things that the system cares about and the sky's the limit for your career. Those are different than the other domains of knowledge or technical skill. I've yet to find an executive leader who has had a, a provider, an informaticist, come up to them and say, hey, I'd like to learn more and help you change the system and apply some new skills for me to turn them away. So you are so right that the leaders would just soak that up like a sponge and you will not get turned away. You will write your ticket, as you said. I think that was really well said. <laughs> Nicely done. So I, I want to let you go because I, I promised you I wouldn't keep you all day, although I could continue talking on this topic forever because I love it. Anything else? Well, I guess how could people reach out to you if they wanted to learn more about maybe what Health Catalyst does or just to connect with you and follow for how to make outcomes happen in your organization? They'd be welcome to just email me directly, john.wadsworth at healthcatalyst.com. Um, I hope people will will take to heart your endorsement to get on the website, look at those success stories. That is our mission. It, it is really trying to uh, document a journey that we're on and other health system partners are on around how we can make healthcare affordable and ever improving and accessible to the masses. And we just want to publish the heck out of that so we can do it better for all of us. Fantastic. Well, John, thank you uh, again for coming on the show. And let's wrap it up there. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or you can go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Send me your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode. Mm -hmm.